Spirit without the Holy Spirit does it all. Here is Cody Jones. So and share if you're blessed because of their unbelief. So the reason I love this place is because what happens in here tonight is not dependent upon what I bring, but it's dependent upon the hunger that's on the board. And I, most, most people don't understand this. The, the measure of a meeting is not dependent upon the preacher. Even though a lot of preachers claim to have the goods and they all do, but the truth is, is it's based on the hunger of the room. Come on. And if the people in the room are hungry, then there's no telling what God can do. And any time that I come in here, I can feel the hunger in the room. I can feel the desperation for God. Matthew verse 5, or Matthew chapter 5 says, Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. So whatever you're hungry for tonight, that's what you'll be filled with. If you're hungry for God, then you're not going to leave disappointed because He's going to come and fill you tonight. Amen? Uh, where's my child at? Where's my family at? Bring her up here. Come with us. Bring those up here. This is my child. Uh, we're all the way down from Boone County, Kentucky. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. I want to give away two shirts tonight. You got both of them? So look here. You see her sweatshirt? It says riot because I'm training my kid to be a riot maker. And uh, on the back, it's it's a the state of Kentucky and it has 120 on it. And under it, it says revival isn't coming. Revival is here. 120 counties being unified to contend for a move of God. So, you're good. And, and we have these sweatshirts and shirts in the back, and we'd love for you to, if you want to purchase one, I'm going to give one away. Or actually, I'm going to give two away. And I'm going to give one to my friend up here, my brother, Mark. And I'm going to give one to his lovely wife, which I said I was going to give later, but I'm just going to give now. But how, who else wants a shirt? All right, they're back there. They're $25. <laughs> This is what I want to do, though. There's uh, anyone that came from a program tonight that you're in a program when you leave. I, I am going to give you a wristband when you leave that says Revival is here. Uh, just as a thank you here for thanking you for giving up everything you got to serve the Lord. Amen? Just because I know how difficult it can be in the scenario that you're in. But it's a lot better than where you could be. Amen? Uh, would love for any of you to follow us on social media, Cody Jones Ministries, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Love for you guys to stay connected with us. That way you know when we'll be back and all those great things. The Lord, the reason I want to mention that is because the Lord spoke to me back in August about traveling through the state of Kentucky as an evangelist. And to hit every county in the state of Kentucky. I think I mentioned it last time I was here briefly, but I was sitting on my couch. It was August of last year, and the Lord spoke to me about the 120 counties. I, there was a man that came across my phone, and all he said was, there's 120 counties in the state of Kentucky. And when he said that, I literally did not hear anything he said after that. All, all that I heard was the Spirit of God begin to speak to me about the upper room, that there were 120 people in the upper room. 
They were contending and waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they were united with one purpose. And that when they pressed in, that God showed up and met them and he poured his spirit out. And the Lord began to speak to me. What would happen if there were 120 counties that would unify in the state of Kentucky? What would happen to this state and what would happen to this nation? Because, you know, what, I, what I've come to do tonight is I've come to challenge you to go up higher. Yes. I, you know, what, what we have developed in American Christianity is people come in, they're broke down, they're beat down. They, they get a touch from God, and then a week later, they're back in the same position that they were before they came in the first time, and they stay in this cycle for years and years and years. Because I used to be one of those people that was in that cycle, and, and I got out of that cycle. You know, if, if you've dealt with drug addiction, fuck, there's a fire in the house. chop at the root, then that tree will die. And what God asks us to do is deal with the root issues of our life, which ultimately is sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that you can't ask God to bless. God, you know, it's like you get to, uh, you know, a new couple in church, you know, freshly saved, and, and next thing you know, they're, they're not married and she's pregnant. And they said, well, what happened? And they're like, well, I don't know. We were having Bible study and all of a sudden I just was pregnant. I don't know how that happened. No, because if you live like that, then sin is going to devour your life. If you think it's just about getting free from a substance, then you have missed the purpose and the essence of Christianity in itself. I, listen, I deal with 65 to 75 guys every day in a program called Heritage House. And, you know, the, getting people free from drugs is easy. That, that happens very quickly. But getting people free from themselves is what's difficult. Because in their mind, they think, oh, I'm just sleeping around or something like that. Okay, take your shot, and then you'll be back. You'll be calling me back. And you're going to be, the, Jesus said, if you sweep the house clean and you do not fill it, then the devils you get rid of are going to come back seven times greater because they're going to go and get seven of their friends to come and dwell in your house. And so that's why when you, if, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've ever had an encounter with God, if you go back out, it, it gets worse a lot quicker. A lot quicker. And you lose everything a lot quicker. And, and, and your life just begins to collapse. And then you come and you stay in that cycle. But I got out of that cycle. And so I made up my mind that I'm not willing to sit around and watch our state and our nation go to hell in a handbasket. If I'm the only one that's going to stand up, then I'm going to be the only one that's going to stand up. But I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach this message of hope and deliverance to a generation that, that America is not too far gone. But we are in revival right now. If the Holy Ghost is in you, then you can live... In revival, and most people don't understand. They, they they think that the presence that we experience in here tonight is 
is restricted to a building. But you have to learn to live in the anointing of God. And if you don't learn to do that, then you're going to leave here tonight and you're going to say, I can't wait until I'm back at 42 weeks from now. And you're going to get your brains beat in for the next two weeks and then you'll come back and stay in the same cycle. But you don't have to do that. You know, how many of you have never heard me speak before in here? A lot of people. I always love coming, coming down here. You want to know why? Because I told them, I told uh, my wife and uh, our friend Jen that's with us. I said every time I come to 4D, it's always a fresh catch of fish. Amen. <laughs> Some of you are going to get saved tonight, Amen. Amen. It's a fact. It's a good thing. You know, and that's what Jesus said. He said, "If you follow me, I'll make you into something. I'll make you into a fisher of men." Amen. Every person that has had given their life to Christ, you're alive for one thing. It's to give glory to God. It is to bring people to Christ. Jesus said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Your life is about people. Your life is about souls. It's about bringing God the reward that is due to Him. You know, I was, uh, I was at a... I went to preach at a school the other day. Not a Christian school, like a high school in, in our area. Where there were a hundred students and I preached. And when I, when I prayed that day before I went in, I prayed a prayer and I didn't even realize what I was praying. But I knew it was the Lord. And when, when I prayed, I said, Lord, I'm about to bring you some fruit today. God wants fruit. Not just from your life. He wants you to bring Him fruit. And if you don't bring Him fruit, this is the, another reason why people struggle as Christians. is because they live their entire Christianity for themselves. But if you don't have purpose in bringing people to Christ, then you're going to have no reason to live. And you're just going to say, well, why do I keep doing this? Why do I come to church all the time? Is that all I'm supposed to do? No, you're supposed to go out and do something. Go out, get to work. How many of you realize this generation has a problem with working? But I'm going to get to work. But it hasn't always been like that. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of what that looked like for me. You know, both my parents, drug addicts. Father addicted, mother addicted, grandparents on both sides addicted. Uh, everyone in my family was addicted to drugs, either did drugs or sold drugs. My family didn't just party on Friday night. My parents were addicted to heroin, crack cocaine, pills, anything that you can think of. I, I never seen my mother or my father work a job as a kid, ever. Never seen my grandparents work jobs. They, they sold drugs, that's what they did. So that's what I grew up around, so that's what I became. I became just like them. And what happened was, is, you know, I got addicted very quickly, uh, selling drugs in junior high, seventh grade, selling weed, selling cocaine, you know, doing anything that came across the table, LSD, anything you can think of. I just, you know, mix up the pot of stew and give me a bite of it. Amen? That's the way that I looked at it. And uh, my father went to prison when I was nine years old. He got out when I was 18. He, he did almost nine and a half years for an aggravated robbery. He got out. Immediately within one week, he was selling drugs. Uh, and then I began to sell drugs for my father. I was bringing, I was 18 years old and was bringing in a lot of money. I, I, I never worked a job a day in my life. I mean, for someone who has never worked a job a day in their life to have tons of cash. I mean, I, I, I was my own boss. I did whatever I wanted. I, I just, I lived how I wanted to live. And, and, and that's what I, my goal in life was, I'm going to become the biggest drug dealer. I'm going to become the biggest guy on the block. I'm going to have the most money. I'm going to have the most power. And that's what I did. And I had my dad to back me up because I, I'm small, 
But my dad was about 6'2", 240 pounds. So if someone picked on me, I would just call my dad. Amen? Dad, come kill this guy. <laughs> I know, you, you might be able to beat me up, but I know someone you can't beat up, and he's my dad. So I'm going to call him if I have to. But what happened was, is after about a year and a half of my father being out of prison, my dad got radically saved. I mean, radically saved. Like, he, he, he was selling drugs, doing all this stuff, and in one moment, everything changed in his life. He was going to church seven days a week, and I thought, who in the world goes to church seven days a week? We don't even go to church one day a week, let alone seven days a week. And, and you know, he was in church all the time. And so that's what I've seen. You know, think about it. If Whatever life you come from, if, if you've come from addiction... You wake up in the morning, and the first thing on your mind is, how am I going to get what I need? How am I going to get a fix? And then once you get that fixed, the next thing on your mind is, how am I going to get the next one? And you live your entire life like that. You're hungry for a, a substance. You're hungry for a feeling. You're hungry for a high. And so you go to whatever measure you have to go to get that. But then when we come to church, all of a sudden, I only need to go to church for two hours a week. I don't need to think about what Why do all they want to talk about is God? Uh, because I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. We talk about Jesus. And, 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 and if you are someone who thinks that you aren't going to give God the same kind of uh, desperation that you gave drugs and alcohol, then friend, you aren't, you aren't able to be a Christian. You should just go back and do the thing that you've always done. If you're not willing to give God the same opportunity that you gave drugs and alcohol, then you, my friend, are deceived more than anyone that I know. But what I do today is I do the same thing that I did for the devil. I tell people, since I got saved, I've not changed much. I just took everything that I used to do for the devil, and now I do it for the Lord. As soon as I wake up, I begin to press into God. I begin to pray. I pray in the Holy Ghost. I ask the Lord, what are we doing today? Lord, show me what to do. Show me where to go. Show me what to say. What, what do you have for me today? In my mind, it is fixed on God. The Bible says that those whose minds are fixed on Him will be kept in perfect peace. What is one of the things that the world doesn't have today? Not just the world. The church don't even have it. They don't have peace. They're looking for something to give them peace. They're looking for something to give them hope. Something to give them joy. But if your mind is stayed on Him, all of a sudden you don't have to go anywhere else to find it. Because everything that you need is found in Him. His peace is like a river. His peace is like a never-ending stream. It just flows. What's up, brother? I re- hey, this guy came in last time I was here. You know, you know lines, don't I command every devil that's influencing your life right now to come off of you in Jesus' name. Every tormenting spirit, I command it to go. Every tormenting thought in his mind, go now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, when, when I was here last time, it was kind of crazy. We were up here, they were playing the first song, and we had like seven people come up back yes. to back to get saved before anyone even got up and breathed. It was kind of amazing, actually. Amen. I want this brother. Hey, what what's your name, my friend? Russell, come up. That's my middle name. I mean, we're we're like brothers almost. Yes. You know that? Uh, it is what it is. 
Jesus wants to set you free. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Look me in the eyes. Turn me toward me. I command every devil that's in your life. Look me in the eyes. Every devil that's in your life that always leads you to want to be violent and unleashed on somebody. I command that devil to come up off your life right mm. now in Jesus' name. Now here's what you need to understand, Russell. I can get you free, but I can't keep you free. If you don't submit your life to the gospel and to discipleship, I can get you free right now and clean your house out. But if you leave, seven demons greater than the ones that come out of you will come back. Because that's happened many times in your life where you've gotten free and then you allow them to come back in. Right? Lift your hands. I command every devil in you. Yes. Not you, the devil. Because the devil wants to destroy who you are, your identity, who you are as a man. I command every devil in you to come up now in Jesus' name. Come out in Jesus' name. Come out. Do you want to out? Does he talk to you? He can't talk to me. Come on, Russell. We're sick, <laughs> Story of my life. Amen. Amen. But help you tonight, I'm going to teach you something. Just because, okay, for instance, Jesus came, was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that he went into the synagogue. Luke, Luke 4. He went into the synagogue. And all of a sudden, he began to read the scroll that God had anointed him, that the anointing was on his life. Next thing you know, the Bible says that demons begin to scream out and manifest. So picture this. The synagogue was not new and Jesus opened up with the ribbon cutting service. This synagogue existed where they had teachers of the law, Pharisees and Sadducees that were in this place. And every time that they got up to speak, nothing happened. So that's why you can be in a meeting like this. And when the anointing comes in a room, people that you have seen sit in meetings week after week and year after year, nothing happens. But the moment the anointing starts to move, people start to manifest demons. 
Now, there's, there's nothing to feel bad about. I was just talking to my brother right here. He was telling me when I got delivered, God delivered me from demon possession. It, it, most Christians have a hard time actually believing that they were demon possessed. But if you were addicted to drugs selling your body, let me help you real quick. You were possessed by a demon. Come on. Because God right. didn't make you do that. That's right. But what happens is when you think about this, how does this guy walk in every time I'm here? He just walks and he doesn't even talk to anyone. He just walks in, he walks in, he comes all the way up to the front. Because the de demons know when you're in town. I promise you. Demons know when you're in town. Because demons are drawn to the anointing. Why? Because Lucifer was in heaven, which Lucifer's not even his real name. That's a made-up name. What his name really meant was a morning star. Star of the morning. Right? And they just translated it because they didn't have no better word to put it into. Lucifer. And the Bible says that God found iniquity in his heart because he said, I'm going to exalt myself to the place of the Most High. I'm going to actually go higher than he is. And the Bible says that Jesus cast him out of heaven and that one third of the angels went with him. Do you know why demons are drawn to the anointing? Because they can never get it back. So they only want to go somewhere where they can feel that presence one more time. But not everyone wants to be free from demons. Not everyone wants to be free from demons. I'm, I'm just telling you. But when a demon manifests, it's because it, it, it wants to be around. It's because it's around that anointing. The anointing, they had it once. They were cast out and it was gone forever. So they find the anointing. Where's 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 an anointing? That's why you can go, you go to a lot of churches. It's like a TED talk. I don't even know what these preachers preach about. <laughs> three, three keys to better relationships with your wife and husband. I, 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 don't, I don't preach messages like that. Seven keys to character growth. I, I mean, th this is not a TED talk. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church of the living God that God has called us to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. And if you're not on that mat, it's because the preacher isn't carrying the good. But when you have the anointing, things begin to get drawn to you. That's for free. Amen? That was for free. But, you, but, but look, I'm telling you, because I used to be one of those Christians, and I'm not doing this to hate on anybody. People just do what they think is the right thing to do. So when people come to, to someone that's manifesting, they think we just need to pray. No, Jesus never prayed over someone with the devil. Lord, I pray peace over him. I pray that you help him. No, never happened. He commanded the devil to come out. And, and let me tell you something. I've had enough devils. Let me, I'll, I'll tell you a story real quick. Good Lord, we're in trouble. <laughs> I was in a service, and uh, I was dressed up in like a suit jacket. I, I, this is before I was preaching much. This is like four, how long ago was it? Four years ago, 2019. January 2019. Or actually, no, it was right before COVID, so 2020, January 2020. I thought, man, my opportunity to preach, I'm going to dress up like a preacher. Like, I'm going to go in here and just lay the smack down on the devil. So I'm up at the, at the altar, or I'm up preaching. I've been up preaching for five minutes. And all of a sudden, this girl gets up. Looks like she had left Walmart at 3 a.m. She had on pajama pants and a spaghetti strap shirt. And she comes and makes her way up to the altar. 
You, you know, people are like, well, God doesn't care how you come to him. Yeah, but he would probably prefer you not come to him like you go to the drug dealer in your pajamas. Like, you, you, get, you get my point? Like, at least take a bath. Jesus did say, anoint your head with oil and wash your face. So I'm just saying for future reference, get a toothbrush, comb your hair. That's what Jesus said. So she comes up and she says, I'd like to say something. And I knew immediately that it was a demon. And I said, sweetie, go sit back down. I said, I want to pray for you at the end of the service. Because back then I didn't know how to deal with this stuff. This is the first time I dealt with it. So about five minutes later, she gets back up and she comes back up and she says, I would like this. That would be like someone right now. You guys are listening. Someone gets up and stands right here and says, hey, I want to say something. And then I said, well, hold on. I said, I just told you to sit down. I'll pray for you at the end. She said, no, you've said enough. I got it from here. Uh, and I thought, okay. Uh, so wow. I knew it was a devil. And so, but I told you, I didn't know how to deal with devils back then. So I did what most people do. Uh, we're just going to try to pray for her and do this. And what this girl did is she literally took over the service. So demons will come wow. in and manifest to steal the service from the preacher. So you know what I do with demons? Demon, you're either coming out of that individual or you're leaving with your demon. You pick. Because I'm not giving this service over to a devil. If you don't think that the devil would send people into a place like this to disrupt and disturb everything that God is doing. Why? Because there's people here that need to be saved and free. So what he'll do is he'll send someone in to disrupt what God's about to do. So I don't deal with that stuff. And people say, well, that's not the love of God. I don't know what God you serve. It's not the same God as me. But you deal with devils appropriately. So it basically what happened, this girl manifested the whole time, flopping around, and I didn't know what to do. And I went home and realized, and I told the Lord, Lord, I'm never going to let that happen again. Show me what I did wrong and show me what I need to do. Because that lady stole the service. The service was a complete bust. It, it was bad. And so what happened was, here, sit down right here. Sit right there. You're all wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, she's, she's like, I'm making sure I get to re-listen to this one. She's like, I ain't falling for that either. <laughs> Well, a week later, I'm scrolling through my phone, and I come across an article. Woman is arrested for uh, being high at home and smothering her baby to death. Well, the girl that I was trying to cast a demon out of, that's who it was. Wow. See, when people come into meetings like this, look, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't know what kind of people you're around when you come into church service. Not everyone is here because they've been on fire for Jesus for 20 years. You understand? And so people come in with real demonic bondage on their life. Some people want to be free. Some people don't. I can't make you want to be free. I can get you free, but I can't keep you free. And so the church has to realize how to deal with demonic bondage. And if not, we're just going to get rolled over like we get rolled over and everything else. But I, I've had... Listen, I, I was at a tent meeting one time and got up to preach. And this girl had a spirit of fear on her. She was probably, she might have been 18, 16, 17, 18 years old. And when I, I, I seen the devil manifest on her. And when I went and laid my hand on her head and commanded that devil to come out, she shrieked like loud, like, ah! like loud. And the moment she did that, car alarms started going off in the parking lot. Dang. Because demons have supernatural power. Mm. But they don't have supernatural power like Jesus has supernatural power. Yeah, See, and when, when the disciples came back, they said, Lord, 
Even the demons obeyed us when we told them to come out. He said, oh, wow, good job. He said, let me enlighten you on something. I cast, I cast Satan out of heaven and I seen him fall like lightning. Don't, don't be thrilled that, you, that the, the devils obeyed you, but be thrilled that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. To show people that are unbelievers in the room that the supernatural is real. I don't know how an unbeliever, let me say this. I don't know how someone that is addicted to drugs and knows that the devil is real and then mocks the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in that speaking in tongues. So, so when did the devil call a truce with God? When, when, when did God say, hey, I'm going to let you keep your power, but unfortunately I'm getting stripped of mine. So you have a heyday, and we're just going to have to pray and hope this thing works out. Friend, the power of the Holy Ghost is, it is way more powerful than anything that the devil can do to your life or anyone else's life that exists on this earth. And what most people do is they don't have the power of the Holy Ghost. But when you have the power of the Holy Ghost... All of a sudden, any mountain that stands before you has to move. Amen. By the confession of your mouth, you can speak to this mountain to be removed and cast into the sea. Right. And it will be uprooted and moved into the sea. Yeah. And I can tell you, I'm just giving you a little teaching on it. You want to know how someone has a demon? Because they growl like an animal. That's what he was doing up here. He was growling like an animal. Humans don't growl. Right. Unless you're like playing with your three-year-old, like acting That's about it. You can't convince me that the power of God ain't real. Because I was around too many devils. I've seen too much. I've seen people turn into they I don't know what they turned into. They were possessed by demons. Anyone ever heard of Lester Summerall? Anyone familiar yeah. with that name? You should look. You should look up people that God used through the ages. Amen. This guy isn't even someone that's like was around 100 years ago. He's around like 30 years ago. Lester Summerall said, within I think it was like 50 years or something, he said one third of America will be demon possessed. And the problem is the church thinks demon possession is the exorcist movie. That's not it. That can, it can be like that, but that ain't it. Demon possession means there's such a power and such a stronghold on your life that no matter what you do, you cannot get free. You're in bondage. You're, you have strongholds on your life and you can't get free from those things. So, you know, here I am, young guy, dad gets saved, leads me to the Lord. I'm, uh, I get saved in April of 2011. In May, I have to go to jail for some charges that I got. Or in June, I had to go to jail for some charges that I had caught. No, April, I caught the charges. No, March, I caught the charges. April, get saved. June, I'm in jail. And, and you know, everyone, the only prayer I ever prayed growing up was, Lord, if you get me out of here, I promise I'll be at church on Sunday. <laughs> And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? You've never been to church. And it's like, no, I promise, if you get me out of jail, I'll be at church on Sunday. I, I guess I'm the only person that prayed that kind of prayer in here. Maybe I got the wrong crowd tonight. <laughs> yeah. Lord, 
And, and then you even pray, Lord, multiply this tray because this, I'm going to be starving. <laughs> 30 minutes after eating this, what is this? This is pig slop. Multiply this, Lord. So you've prayed prayers even when you didn't believe in God, especially when you were in jail. Jailhouse prayer. And, uh, you know, so when I went to jail, it, I, uh, my dad got me a Bible for my birthday in May. I went to jail in June. He got me a Bible, and on that, they got me like one of the Bible holders. And on the front of it, it said Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. And, and I, when I got saved, I never opened my Bible. I didn't even realize that as a Christian, you were supposed to actually read that thing. I just thought, hey, no, I had an experience with God. I felt the presence of God, and that, that should be enough. And I didn't realize, oh, wow, you actually got to read this thing. And uh, if not, you're going to be like one of these New Age Christians where you've got prophets that are out right now all over social media telling you that there's a jello land in heaven, that there's a Christmas land in heaven, that Santa's on their way to us. This is real stuff. People with millions of followers in America, prophets that have this kind of teaching, and people love it. They eat it up. They, people love anything that's not in the Bible. They love anything that they can make up themselves about God. Because, and that's what God said. You shall have no other God before me. No, you know, you, idols. People have idols. When we think of idols, you think of having like a statue that has demons in it or something. That's not what God's talking about. Most people's idols in America is they create a God in their own image. And that's the God they worship, but it's not the God of the Bible. When you worship the God of the Bible, all of a sudden things will change in your life. And so... Uh, I'm in there and I realize, you know what? I probably should start reading this thing. So, so I start reading the Bible. I'm getting into it, you know, trying to figure out. I have no clue what I'm reading. I start, you know, they say start in Matthew, and Matthew one says this guy begat that guy, this guy begot that guy. And I thought, what the heck does this stuff mean? Like, I, by the time I was through Matthew one, I was like, I don't even want to read this thing. Yeah. This, I don't even know what begot means. I just, you know, I need like plain version. Like, this guy had intercourse and produced a child. That makes more sense to me. But God is <laughs> These people produce babies. It didn't come from the store. Right. You get what I'm saying? And I'm like, man, what, what in the world? And so, but finally I was like, you know what? And I, I, was, I was thinking this on my way over today, before I came. When I first started speaking, the Lord would send me places to preach where there was no music, there was no worship, there was no... There, there wasn't even like background music that you could play off a phone or a computer. I would just have to go into a place, dry, and speak. Because God was trying to teach me to trust in the anointing. If, if what you have does not function outside of a worship song or a church service, then what you have is you carry off a, an anointing that's produced in a meeting, but you don't actually carry the real thing. Because what you have should be able to work anyway. You should be able to go into a jail where everyone are heathens and preach this message and the power of God show up and do miracles in people's lives. And the Lord showed me because I used to think, Lord, why do you keep sending me to places like I'm going to be in a revival meeting like where people are going after God. And I realized today, nope, I had to send you all these places because I wanted you to trust in my power. I wanted you to trust in my anointing and not trust in all the gadgets and gadgets that the church uses. And I'm not against them. I love them. But if you trust in those things, those things will fail you in the moment that you need God to show up, which is in everyday life. So I'm kneeling on the ground, and I, and I begin to pray. And, and I, don't, I was just like, I'm in jail. God, I, I, I don't even know if I'm changing. What am I going to do? You know, I need to help. 
I'm on that, uh, and like I said, the only Bible verse I knew was the Bible verse that I looked at on the cover of my Bible that laid next to my bed for months. I'm on the ground, and, and I begin to pray, and all of a sudden, I begin to weep, and the presence of God showed up in that jail cell. Our doors were popped. My bunkie was out on the wreck, and so I hung up a blanket. For those of you who've been in jail, so you understand my drift, what that means. Uh, I won't go into too much detail. But I thought, I'm going to hang this blanket and because I didn't want anyone to see me praying. I, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It's like, okay, I'm going to get down here and pray. And I start to pray, and the power of God shows up in that room. And when the power of God showed up in that room, all of a sudden there came a voice over the intercom that says, Cody, you have a visit. I thought, who's coming to visit me? It's not visiting time. So I get up, I go down the steps, and I go get on the phone. There's a woman across on the screen who was a prophet. And I know that she is now, but I didn't know that then. And this is what she said. She said, Cody, I believe God, God spoke to me to come here and talk to you and to encourage you in what the Lord has for your life. And, and she said, this is what the Lord would say. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Never to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And all I could do was I, I felt the power of God come on me right there on that phone because God's not limited to a service. God can show up. Amen. Yes. And I thought, how in the world, one of the first times that I pray, I'm on my knees praying, and literally within 15 seconds, boom, a voice comes. Cody, you have a visit. And this lady on the other line literally quotes to me the only verse that I know in the Bible. Wow. Why? Because God said in the book of Isaiah, He said, Before you called, I, I answered you. you. And while you were yet speaking, I heard Thank you. you. See, God spoke to her to come talk to me before I ever hit my knees. And then the moment that I bit down, boom, she showed up in the room. Because God knows what you have need of before you even ask Him. Because God is not limited by your limitations. God is not limited by anything. God is supernatural and can show up whenever He wants to. Yes. If you will ask, you will receive. Amen. If you seek, you will find. Yes. If you knock, the door will be open to you. Come on. And most people don't understand that when you begin to actually ask God, that God will actually answer. I can guarantee you if I went through this room and told, and I started asking people, tell me the things that you pray for. They would be small baby prayers with no expectation. God just help me. God get me a job. God send me a wife. Quit praying for a wife. You've been clean off of heroin for 90 days. <laughs> God, I need a wife. No, you need to probably get your act together and take care of your kids. Amen. People, they don't love God. They love themselves. That's right. God is their temporary escape. He's their temporary solution. That God, if you'll do this, I just need you to do this. And then when God does it, they go do whatever the heck they want. Yeah. Let me enlighten you tonight. You live your life like that? Everyone in this room, including myself, the Bible says you will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. And you will give an account for every deed done in your body, not for the intentions of your heart. When was the last time you heard a message that Jesus is coming back? That you need to get right with God? 
You, you will not give an account for your good intentions. Well, that wasn't my intention. I, I meant to do this. How many people do you meet like that? You start talking to them, their life's direct, and you call them on the carpet on things. And that wasn't my intention. This is what I was actually thinking or feeling. No, it don't matter what your intention was. God does not judge you by intentions. God judges you by the things that you do in your body and the words that you speak. You will give an account for every word that you speak, and you'll give an account for every action that's ever made. There's going to be two judgments. There's going to be the great white throne judgment, which will be for all unbelievers. That's for unbelievers. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ, which will be for believers. And you will stand before God. And okay, there, there is scripture that tells you. Let me read it to you. Alright, I'm sorry, but I'm not preaching anything I plan on preaching. It's all good. I'm going to give you two scriptures here. First Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, laborers together with and for God. You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. You are God's building. According to the grace, the special endowment for my task of God bestowed on me, like a skillful architect and master builder, I laid the foundation. And now another man is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. But if anyone builds upon the foundation, whether it be with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each one will become plainly and openly known and shown for what it is. Whatever you build for God in this life will be plainly shown for what it is. That's why the Bible says don't fret over wicked people or evildoers. Because their day is coming when they will give an account. <laughs> you look at churches that you think, oh, they're fake, they're funny. Who cares? They will give an account to God for the way they function. Amen. For the day of Christ will disclose and declare because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test and critically appraise the character and the worth of the work each person has done. Fire now. Say this. Say fire now. Fire now. Or fire later. Or fire later. <laughs> John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose single strap I'm not even worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with Fire. fire. The fire is the judgment of God. And when God comes to judge a thing, the fire shows up to burn out everything in your life that's not supposed to be there. What is the fire? The fire is the love of God. It, it, it's the fire of His... When, you know, when you're in love with someone, you are like on in fiery love with someone. You're passionate. And when God says He's going to judge you with fire, what He's saying is, I'm going to come and judge the things in your life. The things that you're willing to surrender, I'm going to burn them out. So it's not a judgment that God has come to kill you. God has come to kill the thing that's killing you. And he's saying, no, I love you too much to allow this to stay in your life. So I have come by my fire to burn it out. But if you don't surrender, then you become worse than what you started. Mm. And, and here's what you need to understand. You need the fire of the Holy Ghost tonight. not Because you're going to have the fire now. Or when you answer to God later in life, there's going to be fire. Amen. Fire for the unbeliever. Because God said, I'm not going to destroy the earth again by water. But next time it's going to be by fire. So your life will either be destroyed by fire as an unbeliever. Or God's going to come to critically appraise and test everything that you've built. See, 
Most Christians are just okay with making heaven. Mm. If the work which any person has built on this foundation, any product of his efforts, whatever, survives this test, he will get his reward. But if any person's work is burned up under the test, he will suffer the loss of it all, losing his reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as one who has passed through the fire. So think about this. God says, if you've given your life to Christ, great. Now the question is, what are you doing? Because you're going to receive a reward for everything that you do in this life. And God is going to come and testify as fire. And he says, if you built anything that is with hay or straw or rubble, I'm going to burn it up and you're barely even going to make it into heaven. You're going to be in tent city in heaven while we're all living in mansions. And I know, listen, let me, let me, let me enlighten you. God is not a communist. This is how people think God is. They think God's a communist. What do I mean by that? You think we all deserve the same thing. That's a communist. God doesn't give everyone the same thing. He gives rewards to some that he does not give to others. Based on what? Their works. Now I know the church today hates the message that you actually have to get up and do something because grace covers it all. But friend, grace is not going to cover the fire that shows up when you answer to God at the end of your life. It's going to be what you built with your life. Amen. Why am I telling you all this? Because seven years ago, I was a heroin addict. Actually, what, what is today? Wednesday was seven years when I got totally free. Hallelujah. Totally free. I got totally free and have never went back. And, and I've come to challenge you to go up higher. To believe God for greater things. What, what all are you believing for? Are you believing for a house, a good job, a wife? Is that, is that all that you are believing for? There, and, and, and we need to understand that we're, we're going to be judged at the end of our life. Ninety-five percent. I've seen this statistic today, which blew my mind. Made me feel bad. Ninety-five percent of Christians have never won one person to the Lord. Mm. And that's wow. not to condemn you, because there was a time in my life when I did not want not one person to the Lord. I didn't even know if I was one yet. Think about all the people that you come in contact with in life. Not just like passing by on the street. I'm talking about like you have a conversation with, you talk to, you, 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 that are unbelievers. What's going to happen on the day of judgment? When you're, the Bible says in heaven, oh, let me say this. Jesus told a story and it wasn't a parable. It was a real story. He said there was a beggar and there was a rich man. That rich man had everything he wanted. But in the end, he didn't serve God. He served himself. And then there was another man who was a beggar. Actually, I think I want to turn that. Who didn't have anything that he wanted. (laughs) 
three chapters off. Listen to this. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who habitually clothed himself in purple and fine linen and reveled and feasted and made merry and splendor every day. And at his gate there was carelessly dropped down and left a certain utterly destitute man named Lazarus, reduced to begging alms and covered with ulcerated sores. He eagerly desired to be satisfied with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs even came and licked his sores. Now, hear me. When Jesus said this, he said there was a certain rich man. He did not say... And then Jesus told this parable. He said, this is the source. And it occurred that the man reduced to begging died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the realm of the dead, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have pity and mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in these flames. People say the worst thing about being in hell, which I, most churches don't even believe in hell anymore. Um, the worst, you know, how could a good God send people to hell? No, it's your choice. You sent yourself there. How, how could God send someone to hell? It, they say... The worst thing about hell is that we're going to be separated from God. What are you talking about? Those people have been separated from God their whole life. That's what sin does. It separates you from God. That's why you need the blood of Christ to come and cleanse you and wash you for the forgiveness of your sins, redemption. I know this is like basic theology tonight, but I promise you most people do not even understand it. They want you to preach something that's like so wacky. You know, I was talking about last night. You know, an angel came and visited me in my dreams. Okay, how, anytime an angel showed up, in the Bible, angels were, are considered harvesters. So anytime an angel shows up, it has everything to do with bringing souls into the kingdom of God. So if an angel showed up to you, I don't know how many people you've won to the Lord. Because if an angel showed up to you and you didn't do anything, then you didn't have an angel show up. It was Grandma and Joe that tried to wake you up and you were half asleep. Mm. The, the torment of hell is not going to be separation from God. The torment of hell is going to be flames, in darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to what he said. When he cried out for pity, he said, send someone just to dip their finger in water and put it on my tongue. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime fully received what is due you in comforts and delights. And Lazarus, in like manner, the discomforts and distresses, but now he is comforted here, and you are an image. And besides all this, between us and you are a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who want to pass from this place to you may not be able. And no one may pass from there to us. And the man said, Then, Father, I beseech you to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may give solemn testimony and warn them. Lest they too come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear and listen to him. But he answered, No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, change their minds for the better, and heartily amend their ways, 
with abhorrence of their past sins. He said to him, if they do not hear and listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded and convinced and believe even if someone should rise from the dead. His response was, if you can't call my tongue, then go send someone to tell all of my family about where I am because I don't want them here with me engulfed in flames. When is the last time that there has been a passion or a drive in you to say, I don't want to go to heaven without you? No, you, people are fine with people going to hell. You should go join them, actually. The response of a man already burning in flames. How many people are going to be in hell and they're going to say, hey, hold on. That, that guy up there, my neighbor, he was a Christian. I lived next to him for 40 years and he never told me about Christ. He never told me the message of salvation. He never told me. He never told me. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember before you were saved all of the Christians that came and told you about Christ? Yeah, I can't remember any. I can't remember any. I got witnessed to two times my whole life before I was 18 years old. My whole life. God had to take a felon, drug-addicted heroin addict that was in jail to come out and radically save his life to say, if I'm going to save Cody, I'm going to have to save his father because no one else is going to go tell him about my message. No one else is going to tell him. Lord, I'm bringing you some fruit today. No, I'm about to bring the Lord some fruit in this room tonight. People say, you... That, that, that's a fear tactic. Okay. When we when people when when we're in eternity and people are in hell and God's gonna say, hey, you, you know, or God's gonna rebuke you when you get to heaven and say, Hey, I know you preach that gospel a lot, but you know, you tried to scare people into heaven and that, that's just not cool. Mm -hmm. You just that. You tried to scare people to receive me. No, there needs to be a healthy fear of the Lord. Amen. This is New Testament. Two people, Ananias, showed up in the room and said, here's all my proceeds. I sold all my property and all my belongings. Here's the whole of the offering, and I'm giving it to the church to, to put in the offering. And he said, is this all of it, Peter said? And he said, yeah, that's all of it. He said, are you sure? He said, it's all of it. He said, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? He said, you walked in here on your own, but now you're going to have to be carried out. And he fell down dead at the altar. And then his wife comes in six hours later. Think about that, a six-hour church service. Six hours later, he comes in and he says, hey, let me ask you a question. Did you sell everything and bring all of the proceeds to us, to the apostles? And she said, yeah. He said, are you sure? He said, yep. She said, yeah, we brought it all. He said, the same way that your husband dropped and died at this altar, now you drop and die at this altar. She fell down dead and they carried him out and buried him. Mm. That's New Testament, not Old Testament. How many people do you come in contact with that are destined for eternal hell? If you drove home tonight, pulled up in there, uh, this is how Christians are. 
you pull up in your driveway tonight and your neighbor's house was on fire, and you said, somebody else will tell them. Somebody else will help them. That's how many Christians live. People, houses are on fire and they're headed to hell and they say, somebody else will tell them. Somebody else will tell them. What if, what if no one would have came and told me? This, mess, this message changed my life. Amen. It was a piece of crap. Low down sinner. Leading people to hell with me. Here, you want to do some of this heroin? Yeah, go ahead and kill them. You know how many people I've probably killed? Amen. You know how many people I've gotten addicted? Mm. You know I preach the way I do? Because I come here to get you addicted to the presence of God. Amen. I come here to get you addicted to the presence of God. Because when I got saved, I didn't get saved to hold up a, a pretty red coin that says I got 90 days clean. When I got saved... God didn't give me a clean date. He gave me a mandate. And that mandate was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell people that there is a heavenly game and a hell of sun. And tonight, heaven can be your home. All it takes is one yes to the gospel. One yes to Jesus Christ. And all your sins will be forgiven in this room tonight. And that it's not by life. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. One drop of his blood is still enough to forgive you of all your sins. Come on, hallelujah. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. No, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, we've lived in our neighborhood for two and a half years. And the Lord spoke to me, I want you to go have a meeting. I'm not going to go through the whole story. I want you to book a meeting. So we rented a place. We got the place. And the Lord began to speak to me about people to talk to. I want you witnessing to people. Think, think about this. Uh, why don't you witness to people? Because the Holy Spirit didn't speak to me. No, no. The Bible spoke to you. Amen. Go and preach the gospel. Yeah, that's right. What we're going to have to do, we're going to have to like set up something where we come in here on a Saturday evening. Where this is what I'm doing back at home in February. I'm doing an evangelism training to teach people how to win people to the Lord. Yes. Because I'm going to tell you something. The reason most people don't do it is because they think it's hard. And I promise you, it is the easiest thing you will ever do. It's so easy. You want to know why? Because people are desperate. They, they, they want truth. They want hope. Someone tell me. Do you remember when you were addicted, when you were in your mess, and you were thinking, would someone come and just tell me the answer? How do I get out of this? Yeah. You were just waiting on someone. I told my wife, I said, I'll invite my neighbors, the whole family. To my meeting, I personally invited one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people. So I don't tell people to go out and do something that I don't do. I brought the most people to my own meeting. There was Thank one you so much for listening. God bless you. There was a girl in there.